whom is your help? Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us sing Psalm 122.
One of the things that we do every Lord's Day morning is listen to the Ten Commandments of our God, and we look into that as a mirror, and we see ourselves, and we come to confession of our sin. So let us listen to the Ten Words of the Covenant, and thereafter sing a confession of sin and a plea for grace, Psalm 130, stanzas 1, 2, and 3. God speaks these words to you, saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So it starts with gospel. And then follows the law, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, by showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your, your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his, his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's.
The assurance of pardon comes to us this morning from another psalm, Psalm 103, 8 through 10. Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Having heard that assurance of pardon, let us also sing about the hope that we have, the final stanza of Psalm 130. Let us now pray for God's blessing over us as we open his word and listen to its proclamation. Our Father in heaven, we come before you this morning to thank you that we may gather for worship. We thank you for this wonderful routine, this wonderful rhythm that you give us that every first day of the week we may rest from most of our regular activities and Dedicate a day unto you. Lord, it's only one day out of seven. You've given us seven days, one day of the week to focus on you, and we pray that you would do, be with us as we do so today. Bless now the re reading of your word. Bless now its proclamation. And we pray that you will use this hour to build us up in our faith and in, a, in, a, in lives of godliness obedience, and thankfulness. We pray it in Jesus' name alone. Amen. The scripture readings this morning come from the prophecy of Isaiah and the letter to the Hebrews. First, Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah 30, 29 to 33. Isaiah 30 at 29. Listen to the word of God. You shall, you shall have a song as in the night when a holy feast is kept, and gladness of heart as when one sets out to the sound of the flute to go to the mountain of the Lord, 
to the rock of Israel. And the Lord will cause his majestic voice to be heard and the descending blow of his arm to be seen, a furious anger and a flame of devouring fire with a cloudburst and storm and hailstones. The Assyrians will be terror-stricken at the voice of the Lord when he strikes with his rod and every stroke of the appointed staff that the Lord lays on them will be to the sound of tambourines and lyres. Battling with brandished arm, he will fight with them. For a burning place has long been prepared. Indeed, for the king is made ready. It is made ready. Its pyre made deep and wide, with fire and wood in abundance, the breath of the Lord like a stream of sulfur kindles it. And then from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 12, Hebrews 12 at 18, 18 through 24, about the kingdom that cannot be shaken. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the, heaven, they made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given, if even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. As far as the scripture reading, I'm going to preach this morning on Psalm 125. That's our text. But let's first sing Psalm 125, the musical version we have of it in the book of praise, Psalm 125.
As I said, the text for this morning is Psalm 125. Let's read that. 125th Psalm, one of the songs of ascents. To those who trust in the Lord, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, when I was your pastor, then from time to time, I would preach on one of the various, one of the several songs of ascents. According to my records, I never preached on Psalm 125 when I was your pastor. So thankful to the Lord for the opportunity afforded me today. I will do so this morning. And now allow me briefly to remind you about what the Songs of Ascent are. The Psalms of Ascent are that little book of Psalms within the larger book of Psalms, Psalm 120 to 134, so 15 Psalms. It is commonly thought, and that's what most commentators say, that these were sung by the people of God as they would ascend up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was up in the hills, central highlands of the land of Palestine, as it is often called. And the people of God would come from various parts of the land and they would ascend the hill. There were three great pilgrimage festivals upon which the people of God, uh, in which the people of God would go to, the, to Jerusalem. It is captured well in Psalm 122. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks um, to the name of the Lord. Or think of what we read in Psalm, uh, in Isaiah chapter 30. You shall have a song in the night, as in the night, when a holy feast is kept, and gladness of heart, when one sets out to the sound of the flute, to go to the mountain of the Lord, to the rock of Israel. The flute would sound. The people of God would be called out of their homes. And they would begin singing. Singing as they went up to Jerusalem from the 12 tribal regions. And even beyond from the, from the plains and, the, and, the, and through the valleys. Up from the plains, from the valleys, up they would go, up the hills to the mountain of the Lord until they reached the holy city, Jerusalem, all the while singing the praises of the Lord. Now there's a discernible movement as you go through the, these 15 songs of ascent. Psalm 120 with Psalm 120. The pilgrim is far away in the land of Meshach, the land of Kedar, 
Meshach was in the, in the north, in what came to be called Asia Minor, in the land of Turkey. There were Jewish people, people of God, up there. Kedar was way down in the south, in, in Arabia, down in the deserts. So even from these, these faraway places, they would come for the three great pilgrimage festivals to, to worship the name of God. As they live today, they may have sung something like, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has, hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. And then, in conclusion, we get Psalm 134, the last of the 15 songs of ascent, signals the end of the festal, festival celebrations. In Psalm 134, the worshipers, as they are about to leave to return to their homes, perhaps again as far as Meshach, as far as Kedar, they would pronounce a blessing. The people of God would bless, pronounce a blessing upon the priests who labored day by day in the temple. And then the priests, in turn, would speak a blessing to the people to carry them to their, back to their homes. They would bless each other with these words, May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. So that's just very briefly the, an overview of the 15 songs of ascents. Today we're looking at 125. In 125, the pilgrims, having arrived in Jerusalem, are gathered at the temple for worship, they sing about the blessed unity that they may enjoy under the peace of God, despite the dangers they face in the world. In this psalm, we see a picture of the church of God. It's a picture of the people of God, the church, both Old Testament and New Testament, the universal church of God. I've gathered the main message of this psalm under this theme. We, as the people of God, may know that the Lord surrounds us despite the threats of all manner of evil. We are a protected community. We'll see that, first of all, a protected community. However, we are a threatened community. And yet, and that's the last thing we will see, we are a united community. So the Lord begins with speaking about the trust, the trust that the pilgrim worshipers have placed in the Lord God. That's a, one of the descriptions of the church. The church is made up of those who trust in the Lord. Now, when we talk about the church, we can talk about it in different ways. There are different ways of describing the church. Sometimes it's described by the three marks of the church. The church is that body of people which has placed itself under the faithful administration of the word, where the sacraments are faithfully administered, where discipline is faithfully administered. That's a way of describing the church. Another way of describing the, the 
the church, there are, there are countless ways. If the look and look in Scripture, it is the bride of Christ. It is the branch of the of the vine. The church is made up of the members of the body of Christ. It is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is the children of God. It is the sheep of the good shepherd. And there, that's just a just a few of the many images in Scripture to describe the church of God. Well, Psalm 125 also has a way of describing the church. It is those who trust in the Lord. According to Psalm 125, that's a defining mark of God's people. They trust in the Lord. Well, how is it with you, my brother, my sister? Do you trust in the Lord? Have you placed your trust in him? We so easily place our trust in the wrong places elsewhere. And then we're really not so different from the children of Israel in the Old Testament. Shortly after the Lord had brought his people out of Egypt, he met them at Mount Sinai. And before long, what were the people doing? Moses was up on the mountain receiving the law of God, and the people were running riot down below at the, at the base of the mountain, worshiping the golden calf. And they even said, this is our God who has brought us out of Egypt. This is our God, this golden calf. It contains the spirit of our God. We place our trust in the golden calf and in the spirit of our God which is in that calf. Foolishly, they place their trust in it. And idolatry was a snare for God's people throughout the generations. And it is a snare for us. We admit as we admit as much in Lord's Day uh, question and answer 95 of the Heidelberg Catechism where we have a definition of idolatry and we say there that idolatry is having or inventing something in which to put our trust in addition to or instead of the only true God who has revealed himself in his word, you see the importance of the word trust in Lord's Day 34, about the first commandment. That's a key word. It is a word used to describe the people of God in our, in our text. They are those who trust in the Lord. So again, the question, loved ones, I ask you the question and I direct it to myself as well. In whom do we trust? Can we say the same? Sing with the children of Israel in, in Psalm 20. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They, those who trust in chariots and horses, collapse and fall, but we rise up and stand upright. Loved, one, loved ones, I've asked you a couple of times now, in whom do you place your trust? Do you trust in the Lord? The Lord is trustworthy. He is worthy of your trust. You know that. I think you know that. Even if you have faced trouble of all sorts 
in your life. The Lord yet is worthy of your trust. You can depend upon him and confide in him. Do so, brother, sister, child of God, and you will not be disappointed. He will not ever let you down. His eyes on the little sparrows. You ever think about that when you see a little bird? You see sparrows strung across a phone line, a phone line up between pole and pole, and you, you, you think to yourself, the Lord has created that little sparrow. And the Lord knows each one of those little sparrows. And not one of them will fall to the ground without the will of the Heavenly Father. And then Jesus says, so much more you. If the Lord takes care of the sparrow, he will take care of you for whom his son gave his life. So the pilgrim said that those who trust in the Lord, he says what they are like. He says they are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved or shaken, but abides forever. Mount Zion was the stronghold of King David when King David took, took over Jabus, the city called Jabus. When he took that, it had a stronghold in it on one of the mountains, and David built his stronghold there on Mount Zion. He built a palace there, but even more importantly than that David lived on Mount Zion was that he moved the Ark of the Covenant there. And he erected the tabernacle there. It is there on Mount Zion where the Lord and his anointed king dwelt in the midst of the people. Mount Zion also came to be called Jerusalem, which means city of peace. Mount Zion, Jerusalem became the place of worship. All of Israel's religious life was focused there. It was there where their hearts were. No matter where they were in the land, their hearts were in Zion and Jerusalem. They may have been far away in some other place, but their attention was focused on Mount Zion. And the godly believer was looking forward to the next time that he could be in Zion. And just like Mount Zion was immovable, so are those who trust in the Lord immovable. And just as the, as, the, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, that's the point being made here, just as the mountains surround Jerusalem, Jerusalem up high, mountains surrounding it, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and evermore. Now what does this mean for us today? Where is Mount Zion today? Well, today, Mount Zion is in heaven where Jesus is. Think of what we read in Hebrews 12. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering. You see that innumerable angels having made pilgrimage to Mount Zion and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus. That's what we do on the Lord's Day. 
It's only one day out of seven. But on that day, what a special day it is. We come to Mount Zion. And we are gathered together with the innumerable angels in festival, festival, gathering, uh, festival clothing and to the spirits of God, the spirits of those who have gone before us, who have died, gone to be with the Lord, and who are made perfect forever. And to Jesus, every Lord's Day, when we gather for worship, we come to Jesus. You are never so close to heaven as when you worship the Lord together on the Lord's Day. And those who trust in the Lord Jesus are immovable. Immovable because Jesus is immovable. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. Let us look to him. Brother, sister, if you place your trust in him, then you will have placed your trust in the unchanging, anointed King Jesus Christ. Let your heart be where he is. Then you will, by faith, already be in the heavenly Mount Zion. That's where we are right now. In on the heavenly Mount Zion. Then we will not be moved. You will not be moved, but will abide forever from this time forth and evermore. So, so the churches, that's the first thing we wanted to see, that the church is those who trust in the Lord and we saw that it's a protected community. However, and that's the second thing we're going to see, it is a threatened community. Verse 3 speaks of the scepter of wickedness. Now, a king held a scepter, often a golden scepter. And with it, it was a symbol of his power and his authority. It was a symbol of his grace and was a symbol of his power to destroy. You can see that in Esther 4, verse 11, where Mordecai encouraged Esther to go up to King Ahasuerus to speak on behalf of the Jewish. If anyone approaches the king without being called, he, he is put to death, that person, he or she, is put to death unless the king holds out his golden scepter for the person to touch. So the scepter, a symbol of, of, of power, power and grace. About the scepter of wickedness, then wickedness is being personified here. The scepter of king wickedness. Wickedness wanted to rule like a king over the land of Israel. Now, Sadly, there were times, and you know, you know the history of the Old Testament, the children learned it at, at school in their lessons, that often wickedness uh, prevailed over the land of Israel. Think of the time of Judges. Time after time, the people of God turned away from the Lord and worshipped false gods and united with the heathen tribes around them. And then the Lord would send a nation to oppress the people of God and then the pe it's, it's like a cycle. Then the people of God would cry to the Lord. The, the, the children would remember what their grandparents had told them about the Lord. And they would turn to the Lord. And then the Lord would raise up a deliverer, an Ehud, a Gideon, a Deborah, a 
Samson or Jephthah. Now, sadly, the rule of wickedness continued in the time of the kings. In a sense, it was worse in the time of the kings, worse than in the time of the judges. In the time of the judges, you read about the people of God going astray. But in the, in the, the book of, books of the kings, you read about the king leading the charge, often leading the charge away into wickedness. And the people of God followed the bad example of the kings. And it was because of this sin, the sin of the kings and of the people, that the Lord first brought the Assyrians to destroy the northern kingdom. He spared for a while the southern kingdom, Judah, Judea, but eventually also the southern kingdom was taken into exile in Babylon. God's people went into exile, and the land was ruled by foreign kings. And yet we have this promise. Uh, verse 3, the scepter of wickedness will not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. How do we make sense of that? In light of the ongoing apostasy and the exile into foreign countries and occupation. Well, you know that there was a, that there was a return from exile. After 70 years under faithful men such as Ezra and Nehemiah, God brought his people back to the land and told them to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. And they did, under the faithful leadership of faithful priests and, and, and governors. God had allotted the land to his people, and he, he brought them back. And yet it did not last forever. For we know that in the times between the Testaments, as we often call it, in those several hundreds of years that the land was again often oppressed, the people of God went astray. The freedom did not last forever until Rome came with their armies and subjugated the people and occupied the land. So what is going on with this promise? Well, also in this, brothers and sisters, also in this we hear a call for Jesus Christ. And for a glorious, his glorious and gracious scepter. We read about the king and the scepter already in Genesis 49, verse 10. When Jacob is blessing his 12 sons, then he said of Judah, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Now, who is that? Who is that him? Who is being referred to here? I think you 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 will put it together. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Balaam, think, remember Balaam, who sought to cast a curse, witchcraft curse upon the people of God, but was, his mouth was continually co-opted by the Lord to speak blessing instead. And he says in Numbers 24, 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the head of Moab and break down 
the sons of Sheth. Who was Balaam seeing? Balaam was seeing the coming of the Lord Jesus, who as a king would come bearing a scepter, a scepter of authority and power, with which he would crush the heads of the Moabites and the sons of Sheth. Jesus Christ now rules over the kingdom, and it's a gracious rule, but he also bears a mighty scepter. It's a spiritual kingdom, and we belong to it. He gives us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to dwell in us, to keep us from stretching our hands to touch wickedness. To resi now don't resist that work, brothers and sisters. Don't resist it. Don't resist the work Jesus Christ wants to do in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. To resist that work is both foolish and dangerous, for it leads away to destruction and to hell. There is so much wickedness in the world. I don't need to give you examples of the wickedness in the world. You know that wickedness. Don't reach out and touch it. Do not be conformed to the ways of the world, as the Apostle Paul says. Rather, be transformed by the Spirit of God. Now, this promise, this promise that the people of God will not stretch out their hands to do evil is not an, an unconditional promise. In verse 4, we read the prayer that the Lord would do good to those who are good and to those who are upright in heart. And we know Scripture well enough to know that no one is good of, the, of themselves, nor is anyone upright of themselves. People are made good and made upright and righteous only by the power of the Holy Spirit. God will do good to those to who, to, in whom the Holy Spirit is working. Don't resist that work, brother, sister. Don't resist it. But those, for those who turn aside from the ways of the Lord will be given to, over to the way of doom and destruction. Verse 5 says that, that those who turn aside to their, their own chosen crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with the evildoers. Scripture is clear enough that evildoers will end up in the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The Lord is good to those who, in whom is the Holy Spirit and who love and obey the Lord. But, the, but he leads away the evildoers, those who turn away from their wicked ways. Psalm 2 also speaks about a scepter. It calls it an iron rod. And the Lord will break in pieces with his iron rod those who, who oppose him. And those are really the, when it all comes down to it, it those are the, the only two possibilities. To be, to, be, to be led to the Lord or led away. Do you love the Lord, brothers and sisters? Do you want to serve him? If you do, you can know, you can be confident 
that it will go well with you. The Lord will do good to those, those who love the Lord. He will do good, good things to you, and you will dwell in the heavenly promised land with Jesus and all the church forever and ever. Or would you rather turn aside from Jesus to your own crooked way? Be warned, because as verse 5 says, God will lead those who turn away from him with the evildoers. Give yourself, loved ones, give yourself into the loving and gracious protection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've seen that the church is a protected community. However, it is a threatened community. The last thing we are going to see is that it is a united community. What is it united under? What is the essence of our unity? Why are we a united community? The peace of God is the essence of our unity. The psalm ends with the benediction, Peace be upon Israel. The tribes had assembled from, uh, from afar to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, as I said, means city of peace. The Hebrew word shalom, you hear it in the last two syllables. It's the word for peace. Ir means city, city of peace. Ir shalom, shalom the city of peace. Sometimes the city is, it was simply called Salem, peace. Peace was to be found in the city of peace. The blessing of peace for the people of God was pronounced at the temple in the city of peace. This shalom peace was, was more than the absence of war. You can be at war, as the world has often been at war, the First World War, the, the Second World War, and yet you can be at peace. Peace, it, it is more than the absence of war, because when conflict ceases between two warring nations, the new situation, although it is termed peace, and they may sign a peace accord, Yet both countries may lie in ruins, their inhabitants in mourning, graveyards full of the dead, economies devastated, and futures uncertain. Some peace. But how different is the relationship between God and sinners when peace is made by the Lord Jesus Christ? Instead of being ruined, the sinner leaves the ruins behind him. Instead of mourning his losses, he now rejoices in the relationship he has with the Lord. Instead of being poor, he becomes immeasurably rich. Instead of having an, an uncertain future, he begins to enjoy the security that comes from the presence of God and the promises of the Lord. People of peace, those who are themselves at peace with God, will bring that peace into their human relationships. Jerusalem will be a city of peace. It will be populated by those who are at peace with God. Vertical first, but then also the horizontal.
That has to be there as well and will be there. The heavenly Jerusalem that the Apostle John saw in his vision coming down from heaven to earth was a city of peace. And what we see here today is an earthly picture of the heavenly truth. It, it is it, and can be no other way. This is the shalom that Jesus brings about for all who repent of their sins and trust in him and in the sacrifice that he brought on the cross for sinners. This is the peace that Jesus brings into your midst if you would have it, brother and sister. Would you have it? Would you have the peace that unites you with God? Would you have the peace that unites you with one and others as fellow children of God? Pray that Jerusalem be blessed. May peace prevail within your walls and within your citadels. May the Jerusalem below today already be like the one above, a place of rest, of rest in him who loves her. May lasting peace be yours to cherish. May God be in your midst. Peace be upon Israel. Amen. Let us now sing in response hymn 52. Hymn 52, 1, 2, and 4.
Let us now unite in the congregational prayer. Lord God, we thank you for the promises of the 125th Psalm. We thank you that you surround us as the mountains surround Jerusalem. We thank you that we may be at peace, that we may be at rest. We thank you that the church today and the worship service today is a sign, a snapshot of the church above when we will, with the vision glorious, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. When we are blessed with that vision glorious, when we will be at rest. We thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ brings all the rest and every quality of the heavenly Jerusalem. He brings it into our midst today. And we thank you that we may enjoy that. And we pray that we may always enjoy that. We pray for those who are straying away from your path, who are, who are going astray, who have gone astray, despite warnings, pleadings, and crying of parents when children go astray it is it is so so difficult really nothing more difficult but if we experience that we pray that we may experience something yet greater and that is peace peace and rest because of what our lord jesus christ has done for us we pray for those who are ill in our midst those who have loved ones that are ill, that are struggling with diseases, we ask, Lord, that you will be with all those who are ill and that you will give them new health. We pray for the children and the young people of this congregation. Help them to, to see what a beautiful thing it is to belong to the church. There is so much wickedness in the world, so much temptation, so much seeking to draw our young people and children away. But we pray that you will make the children and young people, the youth of the congregation, strong in the faith that they may see what a wonderful thing it is to worship you. We pray for students in these last couple of weeks of summer as they are perhaps beginning with varying amounts of dread, being thinking about going back to school already. Labor Day coming so quickly. But we pray that you will be with the children and the youth who, are who will be going to school, who will be taking up lessons again. And we pray, Lord, that you will grant them every blessing in these last couple of weeks of glorious summer vacation. We pray for those of the Theological College who are fulfilling internships this summer. We ask that you will bless them and that they may develop good relationships with mentor ministers, long-lasting, often, relationships that will be a, a <clears throat> source of rich blessing to the student throughout his ministry. We pray for those students who have received calls and who have accepted calls. We ask that you will be with them as they go to various of the vacant churches. We pray that you will bless the students, that the education they received at our seminary may be good and helpful 
that your people may be edified, your people of your congregations may be built up in the faith, and that ultimately your name may be praised and glorified. Father, we ask you to bless this congregation. We, we know that you know the difficult times that the congregation has gone through the last couple of years without pointing fingers or portioning blame. We just want to lay it at your feet. And we pray that in your time, you will provide a new pastor, a regular preacher, a regular teacher, so that we may hear one voice, one voice from the pulpit, and the same voice in the catechism instruction room, and one voice in pastoral visits. We long for that, Lord, and we pray that you, in your time, would grant that. At the same time, we pray for our former pastor, the Reverend Ludwig, and Esther, his wife, who, are, who will, in time to come, be going to Nirlandia to take up ministry there. We ask that you would bless our brother, that you would grant him everything that he needs. We thank you that he has received a call, that he may go there and utilize the gifts you have given to him. And we ask, Lord, that you would grant him everything that he needs and that his preaching and teaching and pastoral work may be a blessing to our sister church in Nirlandia. We ask you, Father, to bless the elders and deacons of this congregation. We thank you for them. We thank you that you provide faithful men to serve as elders and deacons and be with them as they form the council of the church. We pray that they may guide the congregation well and that under their, their governing and pastoral ministry that the congregation may be blessed. And so we pray at this time also for the offering that we will are about to bring forward. We pray that you would grant your blessing upon the offerings they give and that they may be of service to others. We ask you, Father, to grant us your grace and blessing. In Jesus' name do we pray. Amen. You are now given an opportunity to bring your gifts to the Lord. The deacons will come around and receive that from you. And then we'll sing in conclusion Psalm 134 and hymn 8. Psalm 134, the last of the blessings, the last blessing of the songs of ascent. And to the same tune, hymn number 8, our doxology and praise to our triune God.
Save now the Lord's blessing and depart in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Mm -hmm.